it was the proof or the evidence for al-muwalat and al-mu'adat, allegiance and enmity, yani that our allegiance or friendship or association and cooperation with people, it is based on iman and Islam. And the opposite is also true. The question that we have reached, that we will start with this evening, is question number 28, which is the completion of the previous discussion, that is, the shahada of La ilaha illallah. This, this evening we want to discuss the shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah. These two testimonies, shahadatan or shahadatain, the testimony that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and the testimony that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger, is the final prophet and messenger. These two testimonies, the author has previously mentioned that the status of the shahadatain or these two testimonies is such that no one can enter into Islam except through these two acknowledgements or testimonies. So we have discussed the conditions and the proofs and the meaning of the shahada of la ilaha illallah. And here the author continues with this line discussing the evidence and the meaning for the second part of that testimony, Muhammad Rasulullah. In question number 28, the author said, what is the proof or the evidence for the shahada or the testimony that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the messenger of Allah? So he mentioned first the ayah from Surah Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 164. The saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لَقَدَ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given his favor and his bounty to the believers, to those the people of Iman. What was that favor that he has given to them? Is ba'atha fihim rasulan min anfusihim yatlu alayhim ayatihi wa yuzakkihim wa yuallimuhumu al-kitab wa al-hikmah wa in kanu min qablu lafi dalalim mubin. The favor that Allah has given to the people of Iman, the believers, is that He has sent amongst them a messenger, min and fusihim, yani from their own selves. And of course, we always have to keep in mind that the Qur'an, when it was being revealed, it was first and foremost being revealed to those who were living in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, even though it is a guidance for humanity until Yawm Qiyamah. But sometimes we have to put the verse in its context to understand it properly and here it is clear that he has sent a messenger يعني Rasulan min anfusihim it means that he has sent a messenger from amongst those people to whom the Prophet ﷺ was initially sent to and then the second meaning of it the broader meaning is that he has sent a messenger from amongst yourselves meaning from amongst humanity a human being that has been sent to the human beings and when and that mission that he has been sent with is explained in this ayah in brief, Yatlu alayhim ayatihi, he recites to them his signs, the signs of Allah, the ayat of Allah from the Quran and the other signs of Allah. him, and he purifies them, and he purifies them from impurities, shirk and kufr, and disobedience, sin and so on. him, wayuallimuhumul kitaba wal hikmah. Hmm. 
In this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear what is the mission of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that it is that he recites the ayats of Allah to the people and that he purify them and that he teach them the book and the hikmah, al-kitab wal-hikmah. The book, al-kitab, it is Qur'an. And the hikmah, according to most of the scholars, it is the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is the mission of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is the first proof that he mentioned concerning the testimony of Muhammad Rasulullah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly states in this ayat that he has missioned him, that he has sent him to the people to recite to them his ayat and to purify them and to teach them the book and the sunnah. Then he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah At-Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 128, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِدْتُمْ حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ الرَّعُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ in this ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the expression Rasul clearly. Not just that he was missioned, but he mentions that he is a Rasul. Indeed, there has come to you a messenger, Rasulun min anfusikum, a messenger from amongst yourselves. Azizun alayhi ma'anittum. Yani it grieves him, it is something heavy and difficult upon him uh, when he sees any injury or harm or difficulty coming to the believers. It grieves him, any difficulty or harm that comes to the believers, greets him. That means that he is concerned, that he has compassion and concern for the believers. Azizun alayhi ma'anittum. He is very concerned about any harm coming to the believers. Harisun alaykum. And he is very anxious yani, to protect the people, to guide them, to make sure that they are on the right path. He is eager and anxious to make sure that the people are on the right path. Bil mu'minina ra'ufur rahim. And he is, yani, ra'uf, he is kind. And he is Rahim, merciful to the believers. Finally, he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Munafiqoon, chapter 63, verse 1. That indeed Allah knows that you are his messenger. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayat is making it clear that the Prophet ﷺ is indeed his messenger. And these words actually uh, follow the mention of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concerning the munafiqun that they said, the munafiqun said that we, yani qalu nashhadu innaka la rasulullah. They testify that indeed you are the messenger of Allah, the hypocrites. Wallahu ya'lamu innaka la rasuluhu. And Allah knows that you are his messenger. Wallahu yashhadu inna al-munafiqeen la kathibun. And Allah also testifies that indeed the munafiqeen, that they are liars. This verse is also a proof that speaking the truth on the tongue is not what is required alone, but what is required is that what one says on the tongue, that it is in agreement with what is in the heart. Because the, what was spoken on the tongue of the munafiqeen, it is true. They said, indeed you are the messenger of Allah, that is truth. However, Allah called them liars. The words that they spoke were truth, but he called them liars because the words that they spoke on their tongue were not in agreement with what was in their hearts. Then the shaykh, he says, rahimahullah, and also there are other ayahs that prove, that are evidence of proof for the testimony of Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In question number 29, the author, rahimahullah, says, what is the meaning of the shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah. Yani in the previous question he said, what is the dalil, what is the evidence 
or the proof and in this question he said what is the meaning for the shahada that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the messenger of Allah and this is very very important to understand what is the meaning of Muhammad Rasulullah it is not as many people imagine that it simply means that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah and that is it to acknowledge that he is a messenger but that acknowledgement also it requires of the one who acknowledges to act in a certain way and to believe and to do certain things and the author rahimahullah has given a good description of the meaning of Muhammad Rasulullah he said the meaning of the shahada the testimony of Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said it is at-tasdiq al-jazm min samim al-qalb yani that it is that a person says with certainty the truthfulness yani that they testify with certainty to the truthfulness of this shahada of la ilaha illallah from the depth of their heart and that that agreement that statement that is in that the the confession to the truthfulness of this statement which is in the heart it is in agreement with what is spoken on the tongue yani the testimony of muhammad that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the servant of allah and his messenger sent to the whole of humanity the human beings as well as the jinn it should be that the person has a conviction in their heart of certainty about this matter that is in agreement or in concordance with that which the speech that is upon the tongue yani the meaning of the shahada of muhammad rasulullah it is that a person says on their tongue that he is the messenger of allah and the prophet of allah that has been sent to the whole of humanity the human beings as well as to the jinn and that that statement which is on the tongue is in agreement it is in accordance with the conviction the certain conviction that one has in the depth of the heart and again this is uh this is in agreement with the, the ayah that uh, has been mentioned previously concerning the statement of the hypocrites that he is the messenger of allah while in their heart they didn't have that conviction so what the meaning of the shahada of muhammad rasulullah it requires that the person has a certain conviction in their heart that is in agreement with what they are saying on the tongue and then he mentioned a part of a verse from the quran from surah al ahzab chapter 33 verses 45 and 46 shahidan mubashshiran nadira that he has been sent as a witness shahid mubashshiran nadira and he has been sent as one who gives the good news the bushra to those who believe and obey allah and he of allah's reward in his jannah wan nadiran as a warner to those who disbelieve and who disobey allah of allah's punishment the hellfire wa da'iyan ila allah bi iznihi wa sirajan munira and he has been sent as an inviter a caller to allah by the permission of allah He has not appointed himself but he has been sent as a caller to Allah by the permission of Allah and as a siraj munira yani lamp that is given light showing the way the path and the clear road that leads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his pleasure and his reward then he said in light of this it is obligatory to confess to the truthfulness of what all of what he has informed us about فيجب تصديقه في جميع ما اخبر به من انباء ما قد سبق واخبار ما سياتي يعني that we must believe in the truthfulness of all that he informs us of whether it is news of what has passed يعني of the history of what has previously taken place as well as information about that which will come in the future to believe whatever he said has happened in the past and whatever he says will happen in the future 
and also to believe in him in all that he makes lawful of the lawful things to accept it as lawful and all that he prohibits of the prohibited things to accept it as prohibited if he has made something lawful even if it is against our intellect or our feelings or our desires we accept that it is lawful and when he prohibits something then no matter how much we want it or desire it or love it or believe that it should be allowed we accept it as being forbidden we accept as lawful whatever he has made lawful and as haram whatever he has made haram and likewise we must act in accordance with and surrender and submit to all that he orders us with and refrain and leave off all that he prohibits from and we must follow or adhere to adhere strictly to his sharia the divine law that he has brought from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we must also adhere to the sunnah that he has brought the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam yani all that he has shown us in his uh, practice in his actions in ibadah as well as what he has informed us of in terms of belief and guidance and so on and this is in private as well as in public that we must adhere to the sharia of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in his sunnah secretly as well as openly it means that we do not just practice these things when we are in front of the people but even if we are alone in a place where there is no other people in the darkness of the night then we must adhere to these things because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching us and likewise he said this adhering adherence to the sharia and the sunnah and fulfilling that which he has commanded us with he said all of this should be with pleasure and yani that one is pleased with what he has uh, legislated what he has uh, the judgments that he has made we must be pleased with it and we must surrender ourselves with it to it and that we must obey him uh, because obedience to him is obedience to Allah obedience to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam it is obedience to Allah and this obedience of him is disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is because he is the one who has delivered the message of Allah from Allah he has delivered he is the one who is delivering or conveying uh, from Allah his message so whatever he conveys to us from Allah obeying him in that is obedience to Allah and disobeying him in that is disobedience to Allah and also part of the meaning of the shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah is that we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not taken his soul has not taken him from this world until he has completed and perfected the deen yani he has not left this world while the legislation or the sharia or the message that he was sent with he has not left this world while it was incomplete but allah has not taken his soul until he has completed and perfected the deen and he has de- delivered a clear deliverance he has delivered the message clearly and he has left his ummah ala al mahajjah al bayda yani on a clear white road it's night it's like it's day and nobody deviates from it after him except that they are of those who are destroyed And then the Shaykh closes this answer by saying in this topic or concerning this topic there are other masail or issues any related to prophethood and the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that will be mentioned later insha Allah yani in the chapter 
uh, when the Shaykh talks about Al-Iman and in detail the Arkan of Iman, Al-Sitta, from amongst the Arkan of Iman he mentioned the belief in the messengers and in that section he talks further about matters related to this topic of the testimony of Muhammad Rasulullah, the prophethood and the messengership of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In question number 30, the Shaykh he asked the question, what are the conditions or the shuroot of the testimony that Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the messenger of Allah? What are the conditions in order for the testimony of Muhammad Rasulullah to be accepted? And then he asked the question, وَهَلْ تُقْبَلْ شَهَادَةُ الْأُولَى بِدُونِهَا يعني can the first shahada, the shahada of La ilaha illallah be accepted without this shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah? This is the question that one of the brothers brought up last week as we were leaving going to the masjid and uh, it will be clarified in his answer here even though it is a simple and a brief answer but he has made this point clear which is a very essential matter yani can somebody testify to the oneness of Allah without testifying to the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu will it be accepted the shaykh says it has already preceded we have already mentioned to you that al-abd yani that the human being cannot enter into this deen illa bihatayni ash-shahadatayni except by these two testimonies we have mentioned this earlier that what is the status of the shahadatain its, its status is such that no one can enter the deen of Allah except by these two testimonies not by one of them but by both of them therefore he said this has already been mentioned and also it has been mentioned that these two testimonies they cling to one another they are inseparable they are mutalazimatan. That means that you cannot separate one from the other. If you separate them, neither of them is of any benefit. Neither of them is of any benefit. They are inseparable. So the conditions of the shahada, the first shahada of, of La ilaha illallah, he, these are also the conditions of the second shahada, that is the shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah. Just as the uh, that this and the, the, just as this is a condition for the first one and the testimony of Muhammad Rasulullah it is a condition for the acceptance of la ilaha illallah if you do not testify to the second one then uh, the first one will be useless so the conditions uh, for the testimony that we have mentioned of la ilaha illallah there are seven those conditions are the same conditions for Muhammad Rasulullah that you must have knowledge and certainty and you must say it truthfully and you must uh, uh, accept it fully and surrender to it and love it and, it's, and, it's, and the people of it and so on and these conditions are the same just as this second testimony is a condition for the first one that means that the first one will not be accepted without the second one so uh, after this after mentioning the first pillar of Islam and we said that the Shaykh he has followed the hadith of Jibril السلام, that is uh, the explanation that the Prophet وسلم, has given in the hadith of Jibril when he asked the Prophet وسلم, what is Islam and what is Iman and what is Ihsan so he has followed the pattern of this hadith and he first began by explaining what is Islam 
And in the course of explaining Islam, he also explained the pillars of Islam. The first of, be- first of them being al-shahadatayn, the two testimonies of la ilaha illallah and Muhammad Rasulullah. Now he goes on briefly to mention the other pillars of Islam uh, without the detail of the first pillar of Islam because the first pillar of Islam, it is what is the important matter in our discussion of aqidah. So in question number 31 he asks, what is the proof or the evidence of the salat and the zakat? What is the proof of the obligation of salat, of prayer and of zakat, charity? What is the proof that it is obligatory on a person to observe these duties? He said, he mentioned, because of the fact that salat and zakat are very very commonly mentioned together in the Quran, he has mentioned the proof for the two of them together. He said the proof for them is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 5. فَإِن تَابُوا وَأَقَامُوا السَّحْ وَآتَوُوا الزَّكَاةَ فَخَلُّوا سَبِيلَهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Here, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that if they repent, فَإِن تَابُوا it is in reference to the disbelievers that if they repented and then they observed the prayer and they paid the zakat then then leave their way don't attack them don't harm them but they are free then because they have fulfilled the obligations that are upon humanity so here he shows that the proof for the salat and the zakat is this ayat that salat and zakat are obligatory whoever observes them then they are free of harm, no one can harm them. And then he mentioned the saying of Allah also from Surah Tawbah chapter 9 verse 11 فَإِن تَابُوا وَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَوُوا الزَّكَاةَ فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ That if they repent, if they turn back from their ways and accept the truth and fulfill the prayers and, uh, the, and pay the zakat, then they are your brothers in deen. فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ يعني that it means here that the salat and the zakat are obligatory. If they are fulfilled, then indeed uh, they are recognized as a part of Islam, your brothers in the deen of Allah. Then he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Bayna, chapter 98, verse 5, That they have not been ordered except to worship Allah, مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينِ يعني making the deen purely for the sake of Allah, submission and obedience to Allah alone. Hunafa and يعني inclining towards Allah, and inclining towards the deen of Allah, and fulfilling the prayers, and fulfilling the zakat. يعني again, the salat and the zakat have been mentioned together, showing the obligatory nature of these two duties. After this, he mentioned the remaining pillars of Islam, Assalam, what is the evidence or the proof of fasting, of the obligation of fasting? He said, it is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 183, Ya amanu, kutiba alaykum as-siyam, kama kutiba ala al-ladheena min qablikum. Oh, you believe, fasting has been prescribed for you, it has been made obligatory upon you, just as it was made obligatory upon those before you, the previous nations to whom the prophets were sent. So in this ayat it makes it clear that as-siyam, kutiba alaykum as-siyam, the scholars said kutiba means furida, that it was made 
obligatory upon you, the scholars of tafsir. After this, he mentioned the saying of Allah also in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 185, and the following verse, فَمَنْ شَاهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّحْ That whoever uh, witnesses, whoever is present during that month, meaning the month of Ramadan from the beginning of the ayah, شَحْ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنْزِلَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ He said that whoever witnesses this month, whoever is present in this month, any resident not traveling, along with the other conditions, and being an adult, uh, sane, healthy person and so on, فَلْيَصُمْهُ Here, فَلْيَصُمْ The lamb here is lamb al-amr. It means it is a command. فَلْيَصُمْهُ It means then you must fast. It is obligatory. This lamb in Arabic language, it is lamb al-amr. It means that it is a command that you must do it. And then he said, and there are other ayat also. There are so many proving the obligation of a CM. Then he mentioned from the sunnah, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, he said the hadith of Al-Arabi, the Bedouin who came to the Prophet ﷺ, and that hadith was mentioned previously in question number 25, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ informed him of the obligatory duties in Islam, and he said that he would not do more than that or less. And the Prophet ﷺ said if he is telling the truth, really he would not do more than that nor less, he will fulfill all these things, he said, then indeed he has been successful. So in that hadith, in a, in a portion of that hadith, uh, it is also mentioned concerning a siyam when the Prophet ﷺ was telling him what is obligatory upon the Muslims. He said, in the hadith of the Bedouin, he said, uh, inform me of what Allah has made obligatory upon me of fasting. What has Allah made obligatory in terms of fasting? And the Prophet ﷺ said, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانِ إِلَّا أَن تَطَوَّعَ شَيْئًا And that what is obligatory is fasting the month of Ramadan unless you want to voluntarily do some other fasting. And when he told him what were the obligatory things then uh, the Prophet ﷺ then at the end of this that man said that and I will not do more than this, I will do what is obligatory and I will not do less than this, I will fulfill all of the obligations the Prophet ﷺ said then indeed he will be successful. In question number 33, he mentions what is the evidence or the proof for Hajj, for the pilgrimage to Mecca. And again, he has mentioned evidences from the Quran and Sunnah. From the Quran, he mentions from Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 196, and fulfill or complete the Hajj and the Umrah for the sake of Allah. And again, here it is in the command form, it is the fi'l amr. Therefore, it means, as the scholars of Usul said, that a command indicates obligation. Likewise, he mentioned the saying of Allah from Surah Al-Ali Imran, chapter 3, verse 97, That it is the right of Allah, it is Allah's right, upon the people that they make hajj or pilgrimage to the house, and to the ancient house, that is the Kaaba and Mecca, Whoever has uh, the ability to make a way there, to reach that place, and whoever has the means and whoever has the safe way to reach there without harm coming to them, then it is a right that Allah has over the people. After that, he mentioned the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he said this hadith is in Sahihain in al-Bukhari and Muslim. However, the expression that is mentioned here in the book, it is the narration from Al-Nasa'i, Al-Nasa'i, the Sunan of Al-Nasa'i, 
Otherwise, the meaning of the hadith with slightly different wording appears also reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. He says the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِنَّ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى كَتَبَ عَلَيْكُمَ الْحَجْ That verily Allah, the Most High, has made obligatory upon you. And He has prescribed for you, He has made obligatory upon you the pilgrimage. Uh, and also he said another proof for such from the sunnah is that which has been mentioned previously the hadith of Jibreel and when he asked about what is Islam and what is Iman and what is Ihsan and the Prophet ﷺ explained to him in his answer to what is Islam that it is based upon five pillars from amongst them is the obligation of Hajj and also the hadith uh, that is also Sahih that Islam is built upon five Buni al-Islam al-Khams and he mentioned from amongst those things that it is built upon al-Hajj and he said that the other proofs concerning this are many so here he has mentioned the pillars of Islam uh, in brief and uh, except the first of them which he has explained in detail which is the most important, the shahadatain. Then he says in question number 34 before leaving this topic and going on to the next aspect of Islam before going on to Iman he said what is the ruling concerning the one who jahada yani who denies one of these yani one, one of these obligations of the pillars of Islam what is the ruling concerning the one who jahada wahidan minha whoever denies one of them or the ruling concerning the one who acknowledges uh, who acknowledges the obligation however he turns away out of pride or arrogance yani what is the ruling concerning the person who denies any one of these obligations the pillars of Islam or the one who agrees to it he acknowledges it he admits it but out of pride or arrogance he turns away from it he doesn't act in accordance with it the Sheikh says, and, uh, and this topic requires a lengthy discussion, however he has answered it in brief here, so we will suffice with what he has said. He said the one, that one should be killed due to kufr. يعني يقتل كفرا كغيره من المكذبين والمستقبلين مثل إبليس وفرعون. يعني he said that the one who denies one of these, and who denies that it is obligatory or the one who acknowledges that it's obligatory however he doesn't fulfill it, he doesn't perform it he says he's proud or arrogant, he said I refuse to do it then he said such a person should be killed because this is kufr because to deny it is kufr and to completely abandon it, it is kufr and he said this is the same ruling concerning others who deny يعني, and others who proudly reject to submit and to obey and he gave the example of Iblis and the example of Fir'aun. <coughs> and it could be mentioned here that the topic of those who and he acknowledged the truthfulness of the obligation of these pillars but refuse uh, to practice them or the one who openly rejects and denies it after having known it uh, then um, this it comes under the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ concerning the murtad, the one who apostates from Islam من بدل دينه فقتله that whoever uh, changes 
his religion, meaning the religion of Islam, the true religion, for a false religion, then kill him. And that hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari. And question number 35, and in this question, it is in reference to the Muslims, the people from amongst the Muslims, who deny the obligation of these pillars from amongst the Muslims, or who acknowledge them but refuse to fulfill them. The matter of the disbelievers is a different matter altogether. This question is in reference to those who deny the obligation of the pillars of Islam from amongst the Muslim people. Question number 35, what is the ruling concerning the one who acknowledges, uh, acknowledges these obligations, the pillars of Islam, and then abandons them due to laziness or due to some ta'wil, false interpretation? Yani what is the ruling concerning the one who acknowledges the obligation of the, to fulfill these obligations, the pillars of Islam, ثُمَّ تَرَكَهَا Then he abandoned it. لِنَوْعِ تَكَاسُلٍ أَوْ تَأْوِيلٍ Due to some type of laziness or uh, false interpretation. What is the ruling concerning such a person? Yani, that person agrees that it must be done. However, uh, they don't refuse to do it out of pride or arrogance. But just due to laziness, they, they said, okay, I should do it, but they're lazy. So they don't uh, perform the prayers, or they don't fast in Ramadan, or due to some false interpretation. They have interpreted it in some false way, uh, claiming that the real meaning of it is that prayer is not really obligatory on us. As we have seen, uh, even in our time, there are some who have come making such claims. So he said the ruling concerning uh, the one who does so, and he takes them point by point, first the salat, and then the zakat, and then the siyam, and then the hajj, uh, because each of them have a different ruling. So what is the ruling concerning the one who agrees to these obligations, but doesn't perform it due to laziness or some false interpretation? He said, as for the salat, whoever delays it from its time in this way, yani due to laziness or due to some false interpretation, then that person should be called upon to make tawbah, to repent. And if he repents, then that is sufficient. And if he refuses to repent, then he should be killed. And this is the had. This is the prescribed punishment for the person who abandons the salat intentionally, knowingly, willingly. They know it's time for salat. They have the ability to pray. Nobody is preventing them. And they haven't forgotten. But they just didn't pray. Then the ruling concerning this and the hadith concerning this matter, there are many. If somebody uh, wants to review them, then there are essays uh, written by some of the scholars concerning this matter. Uh, this is the had or the prescribed punishment for the person who abandons the salat intentionally, willingly, consciously, knowingly. Uh, and this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَإِن تَابُوا وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةِ وَآتَوُوا الزَّكَاةِ فَخَلُّوا سَبِيلَهُمْ That if, he, if they repent and they perform the prayers and they fulfill the obligation of zakat then leave their way open leave the way open to them don't harm them and if a person fails to pray and they are called to repent and they repent and then they perform the salat and fulfill the zakat then they should not be harmed however if they refuse to repent and they refuse to fulfill these obligations, then they don't have any rights. They should not be left alone, but they should be punished. And the punishment for it, it is any yani, death. 
this is from Surah Tawbah chapter 9 verse 5 and then he mentions the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam reported by al-Bukhari and Muslim umirtu an uqatil al-nas that I have been ordered to fight the people and that hadith the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and in the rest of the hadith he said I have been ordered to fight to make war against the people hatta yashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anni rasulullah wa yuqimu al-salat wa yu'tu al-zakat فَإِذَا فَعَلُوا ذَلِكَ عَصَمُوا مِنِّي دِمَاعَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَّا بِحَقِّهَا وَحِسَابُهُمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ This hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari Muslim that the Prophet said I have been ordered to fight to make war against the people until they testify that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah and that I am the Messenger of Allah and they perform the salat and they pay the zakat and if they do that then they are given protection they 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 are protected from me their blood is protected from me asamu minni dimahum then their blood is protected it is not lawful for me to kill them it is not lawful for me to harm them if they do it if they fulfill these things and likewise their wealth is protected except by its rights except by yani their wealth can be taken if there is a right to take it such as zakat or any other obligation obligatory duty upon the wealth in islam and the accounting will be with Allah. And then Allah will judge yani, the other matters. So in this hadith it is clear that the Prophet ﷺ has been ordered uh, to fight against those who uh, do not testify to the oneness of Allah that Allah alone deserves to be worshipped and that He is the Messenger of Allah and perform the Salat and the Zakat. Then he said, this is in reference to Salat, as for the Zakat, he said, if they are, if they are those yani, who hold back uh, the paying of the zakat, if, if they are those who don't have any power, and they are not a, 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 a people who can, uh, who can resist forcefully, then he said, in reference to these people, the imam of the Muslims, the leader of the Muslims, he should take that uh, zakat from that person by force. And as a punishment, that will be an example for others, he should also take something from that person's wealth. As it is reported in the hadith, that whoever holds back from the obligatory zakat, then we will take, we will take it, yani by force, and also half of their wealth, yani along with that which is obligatory upon them. Yani, some of the scholars said it means half of it, and some said it means part of it. And as a punishment and as an example for others who might think of doing so. Uh, then he mentions, uh, and this hadith is reported in the Sunan of Al-Nasai, and Shaykh Al-Albani has said in Jami Sagheer, Sahih Jami Sagheer, hadith is Sahih. Then he said, uh, as for those who are a group, who have power, who can forcefully resist, the tax collector from taking the zakat from them, they can, they have the power to resist. Then he said, it is obligatory upon the imam of the Muslims to make war against them. I need to take an army and to force them to give it, I need at the point of death until they fulfill it. And this, I need distinction between those who have power and those who don't have power. It is, it means that the zakat should be taken by any means. If they don't have any power, then the tax collector can take it by force. And if they have an army, then the Imam of the Muslims is required to send an army to meet them and force them to pay the zakat. Uh, he said that the ayat of the hadith concerning this, uh, uh, the previous ayat and hadith also, and he show this point of the obligation of forcing the people 
to pay the zakat. And he said, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and the Sahaba, they have done so. And meaning that they have taken the zakat by force. When some people resisted after the death of the Prophet wasallam, they said that the zakat was only to be given to the Prophet wasallam, and they refused to pay the zakat while they said that we will continue to pray. And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu did not accept such. But he sent an army to force them uh, to pay the zakat even though they were... Uh, still performing the prayers. As for the fasting, Saum, he said, nothing has been mentioned, nothing has been narrated concerning uh, what is the punishment for those who do not fast. However, the Imam should discipline them, and he should punish them in some kind of way. The Imam or whoever represents him should punish them or discipline them in some way as a warning for that person and whoever would be similar to them, who would refuse to fulfill the obligation of fasting. In the Muslim society, if there are Muslims who are not fasting, openly eating or drinking in front of the Muslims, they should be disciplined. They should not be allowed to freely walk in the Muslim society in public eating and drinking. As for the Hajj, he said that the person has their whole life to perform the Hajj. And in the time of the performance of the Hajj is during one's lifetime. Uh, and that the obligation and it would not go unfulfilled until that person died. As long as they are living, they could still possibly perform the Hajj. Uh, however, he said, however, it is obligatory that one should hasten to do it. Al-Mubadara. It is obligatory that a person hasten to perform the Hajj and not delay. Uh, and this is because no one knows, as the Prophet ﷺ said, when some, something may overcome them that would prevent them from the Hajj. Whether it is sickness or poverty or death or whatever, therefore whoever is able to perform the Hajj should hasten to do it without delay. He said, however, some uh, threat in, of punishment in the next life uh, has been narrated concerning the one who takes the matter of, of the performance of Hajj lightly. While no punishment, no particular special punishment has been mentioned any, that should be implemented on the person in this world.